0: The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff and management. We all have those thoughts that will not die. Along with many other thought distractions, these can keep us from thinking clearly and focusing on what we desire and who we can be. This is Help! My Thoughts Are Holding Me Hostage with Dr. Jeffrey Fannin. What if you could learn to command the power of thought and make the laws of the universe work in your favor? It can be done, and it just takes some adjustments to become a thought genius. Now, here is your host, Dr. Jeffrey L. Fannin.
1: Good afternoon and welcome to My Thoughts Are Holding Me Hostage uh, on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. I'm Dr. Jeffrey Fannin with my guest this week, a very special friend of mine, Rob Williams. Uh, Rob and I have known each other for a number of years and done research together and so forth. Uh, Rob is the originator of Psych K, that's spelled P-S-Y-C-H hyphen K. He's also the author of Psych K, The Missing Piece in Your Life. And that's spelled two different ways there, P-I-E-C-E, and the meaning is P-E-A-C-E, the missing piece in your life. And it's a really compelling book. You should get a hold of it and and read that uh, because there's some uh, great information in there. Uh, Rob has a bachelor's degree in arts or, or a bachelor of arts degree in philosophy from the University of Uh, California at Los Angeles, a master's degree in counseling and personal services from the University of Colorado. He is also the president of Merton Corporation and the director of PsychK Center International. Now, PsychK has been around since about 1988, I I believe, and uh, is really a simple way to uh, direct and change self-limiting beliefs. And that's what this show is all about, is talking about how Uh, we can change those things and maybe some of the research that Rob and I did uh, back in 2010. Rob, welcome to the show, and it's a thrill for me to have you on here and uh, be able to spend uh, time with you today.
2: Hey, thanks, Jeff. Well, it's always a pleasure for us to get a chance to uh, talk about especially things we love, (laughs) which is human consciousness and development and all that's going on on the planet right now. It's just almost mind-boggling.
1: Yeah, that's true. You know, you and I first met back in uh, 2010 and at that time I was uh, uh, training somebody to do brain mapping in uh, Nebraska and uh, the, it was very interesting. We, uh, She was telling me about this uh, thing called Psyche K and how you can change belief patterns and you know, I thought that was very interesting, and uh, and so we decided to run an experiment uh, on me. You know, being the scientist I am, I, I think I've been experimented on with about everything there is, okay. but um, we, uh, we did a brain map on me before, and then she did this health and wellness balance with me, and I got to tell you, that was really kind of interesting because um, she would uh, pose a question, and then I would think that I would have... You know, she does a muscle testing, a uh, test strong or weak, and various questions that she would ask. I would think that I would have tested strong, and they came up weak, and I was like, wait a minute, how's this happen? You know, <laughs> yeah. and, and it. it, it I, I think I had like ten or eleven of them out of out of thirty three or something mm-hmm. that were askew, and it was like, okay, well, uh, <laughs> there's something going on here. So then um, we did another brain map afterwards and processed the maps and looked at them. And I tell you, I was astonished because it was just so amazing to see the the differences in that those two maps when they were just minutes of each other. I think it took her about 30 minutes or so to do the uh, health and wellness balance. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, and when I saw that um, – I spent the next two days trying to explain it away. You know, there's got to be something wrong with the cap or something wrong with the equipment. I think I got some bad electrodes here, but I I never could come up with a technically good reason why there was such a difference in the maps. And I think that's when she contacted you and and, uh, we had a few phone calls after that, after I got back to my uh, clinic in Glendale. And when we first talked, it was like long lost brothers. It was like instant connection, mm-hmm. uh, and we talked about that. That was kind of an interesting time. Uh, so, how was it for you when we first met and you know started this connection of exploring something that really scientifically hadn't been explored before?
2: Yeah, it was great because for me it was a kind of coming full circle. You know, you and I did some – when we first met in February of 2010, and uh, my wife and I came down to visit you, uh, and we saw your uh, equipment and what could happen. We decided to do an experiment, uh, and what was real interesting about that for me is when I was thinking, well, gosh, you know, the toy store is open. This is all electronic stuff that we could actually measure brainwave patterns and so on. And I I flashed back to about 18 years prior – to uh, meeting you. And I was experimenting in those days, in the early days, with Psyche. And it was real interesting because I, I, I had this uh, curiosity about the possibility of connecting with beings that weren't in a physical form. You know, there was the whole idea of, okay, so we have physical bodies and then we do what something called dying. And, which, and there's lots of definitions of that. But one of the most interesting metaphysical definitions is that You're not in your body anymore. It's like a car. You turn it into the lease company. But you still have an energetic uh, address, so to speak, in the field of consciousness. And I had done some experimental work with a friend of mine, uh, like I said, about 18 or so years ago. We didn't have the benefit of all the equipment you had. But it occurred to me, wouldn't it be fun just to sort of repeat that experiment and see if the equipment would record any changes or whether it was just my imagination of, about the things that had happened uh, so long ago. So that's where we – I explained the situation to you, and I had these, these different kinds of consciousness. Um, ones that would be highly recognizable would be Christ consciousness and Buddha consciousness and uh, one of my favorite um, um, psychics, Edgar Casey, Nikola Tesla – uh, the collective consciousness of of the planet itself, of Gaia, that sort of thing, collective consciousness of humanity. And these were all things that I had um, it played with, experimented with, but couldn't, of course, record in any kind of scientific way. So essentially what I suggested to you, whether I explained all of this at that time or not, was it was a repeat performance. I wanted to find out what the machinery would say, what the technological capabilities now that uh, would say that they couldn't say then. And sure enough, that's where... Things got real interesting in a hurry.
1: Yeah, they really did. Um, it, when, when we started that, that uh, particular research project, we didn't know whether we could uh, measure anything that would come out recognizable because here's the way the experiment went, uh, that uh, I was uh, doing the recording and uh, your, your wife, Ray's, was uh, facilitating the, the process. And then, of course, you were the uh, subject. And so we started with a, um, a baseline And and when we do a baseline, we record like five minutes with uh, your eyes open, five minutes with your eyes closed, and then five minutes with your brain on task, usually reading. And that will give us a a comparison where we can compare the various baselines to um, the other recordings. Then what we would do is uh, in that experiment is um, create some – and I'll let you talk about that here in just a second, uh, and then record uh, five minutes with that surrogation and then release the surrogation and record, uh, engage another surrogation and record five minutes and then release it and engage another one. So it was five minutes, five minutes, five minutes, five minutes. When you think about that in terms of what goes on in an EEG recording, electroencephalogram, that we're taking one individual, we've recorded a baseline, and now we're recording several different things, and the only difference is the uh, the surrogation or the connection uh, with the field in order to do that. So one might hypothesize that uh, those recordings would be very similar to one another, and the intention that, that we put out before we began was that we would get a different energy signature from each of these recordings. Well, we didn't even know if that was possible or not, but we thought we would use this power of intention that we understood and then went from there. So maybe you can explain the surrogation part of this for us. Yeah,
2: Yeah, we're sort of jumping right in the middle of it, aren't we? (laughs) I think we are.
1: We're going to hold this to the end and now we're up to our eyeballs.
2: We can't (laughs) stand it, you know, so we have to talk about
1: it. Yeah, yeah, I, I before you before you talk about the surrogation. Yeah. I, I remember after we had finished all of this and we were walking across the parking lot there in Boulder, Colorado, to the uh, Guyum, uh Studios where we were going to record a couple of shows there, mm-hmm. and that was the moment that you and I kind of looked at each other across, you know, as we were walking in. Of okay, are we going to reveal this stuff or not? Yeah. <laughs> right. You know, and, and it was like okay. This is time to put our money where our mouth is. Yeah. And because we've been sitting on it for a while mm-hmm. because we weren't too sure how it, how well it would be accepted. Mm-hmm. And now we talk about it all the time. So now
2: it's, yeah, now it's, a, yeah, now it's a mainstream almost, you know? It's yeah, yeah, just about.
1: <laughs> so, all right, so let's get on with the story. So, okay, let's, let's do it. This is, is
2: a fun story. Yeah, yeah. so you, you had done the baseline and then we started going into this surrogation process, which is a kind of, Consciousness link up process higher self to higher self or spirit to spirit, however you'd like to characterize that individually and the issue was you can you can do this on someone 's behalf or in someone 's behalf at a distance so when we get back to the more normal version of psychic which i 've never put those two words together psychic and normal, but i 'm doing it right now compared to this uh, there's a link up possible and a sharing of consciousness uh, so what we did was we made the link up with all of these different Categories of beings: Christ consciousness, Buddha consciousness, etc. And there is a, what's really important to understand about this uh, surrogation process is it's permission-based at the highest uh, self level. In other words, you can't just make a connection because you want to uh, without the permission of the other side of that coin. It's kind of like making a cell phone call and you have caller ID. The other person sees who's calling and gets to decide to decide if they want to answer the phone or not. So it really is, I mean, that's a metaphorical but almost exactly accurate kind of characterization. So no harm can be done with this, but if you have two parties that are willing and intention, then a link can be made. And at that point, once the link is made, uh, typically in the normal version of this, typical version of it, is that uh, since we're using muscle tests, a binary code to uh, answer questions about the the um, uh, status of uh, belief systems and individuals' um, consciousness in order to share information and then also be able to do um, change work at a distance. It doesn't matter about what that distance is, by the way, in the world of quantum entanglement. So it, it allows this long-distance connection. So what we did, we thought, okay, so what if you weren't really connecting with somebody who had a body? You know, Is that possible? And would it actually be recorded um, in the brain mapping uh, equipment process? And that was what I think both of us, I, I had already had an experience, and I'll tell a little story about it because it was just so amazing to me, but the whole idea was to find out whether this would register on instruments that were sophisticated enough to, ra- to, to actually register brainwave pattern changes should they occur even if it wasn't just my own. So you, like you said, you, you set up the baseline. Here's Rob being Rob. And then my wife, Raze, would facilitate this surrogation link-up and once it was connected, then we the brainwave patterns started to change. Each each different than mine, and what was even more profound, or as profound, they were different than each other. You might want to say something about, you know, that.
1: <laughs> yeah, that that was I, I think one of the more uh, sobering scientific moments that I've ever had. So uh, when we had measured this, it first started out as being kind of a interesting proposition, and then when we processed it and saw out of the 12 that we did at that time that all 12 of them were uniquely different from each other. And so when you look at a recording, that five minutes, five minutes, five minutes, five minutes, you, you know, you would surmise that they would all be very similar. But in this case, all 12 of them had a different signature. Yeah. Go ahead.
2: Yeah, that was what uh, – it was interesting for me because I, I really – uh, I wasn't all that surprised, but I sure was pleased to see that I wasn't just making up this historical event, but in fact we could replicate it now. You know, some something like 18 years later. That was fabulous. Uh, so, I, and then of course I had quite the experience. It turns out when I was in surrogation for Edgar Casey, the the great American psychic, uh, Casey. Uh, This was very different than the other beings that I connected to. Casey actually uh, invited me in my consciousness to go on a little trip with him to what he called the Akashic Records, or the Hall of Records was another name he used, to show me how he used to find out what was going on with an individual, because he would would project his consciousness to that other individual. And when that happened, uh, there was a link-up. So he took me to this Hall of Records, we'll call it, and started to show me how it worked. And what fascinated me, I was looking at this, this place, which was just like a whole bunch of billions and billions of little digital lights, and each one represented uh, an individual soul. So to, to speed up the story a little bit, you know, we came down, he said, just stare at the wall, pick out a light, you know, and just in your mind, and it came down, it was right in front of us about three feet away, and a door kind of opened, it was a... a, a Light actually opened up. I could see this streaming of consciousness. It was just data, but somehow I could read it in that place. And so I'm talking to Casey. I'm fascinated by it, and I hear a voice behind me that said, "And I I said, um, uh, I need to talk to Jeff." I'm thinking, "What? I'm you know I'm hallucinating." And I'm listening to Casey, and then I hear it again. I need to talk to Jeff. So I turn around, and and again, there's this data stream. And I recognized it as Nikola Tesla. It was, you know, in this place, you could do that. That's what identified people with their signatures. And so I I said, okay, I'll I'll tell Jeff. You know, when he says, meet me, you know, actually uh, uh, Tesla says, tell him to meet me in Alpha Theta. And that's when, after we were finished with that particular session, I asked you, uh, hey, look, you know, it's a little weird, but Tesla told me to tell you to meet him in Alpha Theta. And I asked you, do you know what that is? And you can answer that.
1: Yeah, it um, <laughs> kind of took me back a little bit when when you said that, but I knew exactly what that meant because we um, uh, have alpha theta equipment in our clinic, and we use that to, and and so I mull that over for a couple of days before I finally decided. Well, all right, I'm going to do this. I, I don't know what this all means, but I'm going to do that, and did and made um, an interesting connection with um, with Tesla during that. But uh, before I finish that story, uh, why don't we take a a short break here? You're listening to Help My Thoughts Are Holding Me Hostage on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. We'll be right back.
0: Do you find that some of your hopes and dreams aren't happening the way you thought they would? Maybe your power of intention needs fine-tuning. The latest scientific research indicates that the problem is related to your subconscious belief patterns. They determine your behavior as well as create the message that is being broadcast into the field. Only 5% of what we think about comes through the conscious thinking part of our brain and the rest is processed through the subconscious part of our brain. You need the Thought Genius Kit. The Thought Genius Kit is an amazing combination of tools and technology that is not sold in stores anywhere. But you can get it from thoughtgenius.com. If you want to know what your subconscious thinks and feels about something, all you have to do is think about it and watch the indicators on the screen. The Thought Genius Kit also comes with a lifetime subscription for creating your own mind movies. Get more information and read scientific research before you order the Thought Genius Kit at thoughtgenius.com. That's thoughtgenius.com. When you see someone, Are you seeing the person or the perception? We see labels such as fat, thin, black, white, rich, poor, but we don't always see the true identity. Listen for New Dimensions with Reverend Nicholas Barrett. On this program, we'll embrace the breaking down of societal paradigms, our norms, and acceptance of our false selves. You can find your identity the way that God intended. Forget all the labels that you think you see. Tune in every Wednesday at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, 11 a.m. Eastern Time on Voice America Empowerment. You are listening to Help! My Thoughts Are Holding Me Hostage. To reach Dr. Jeffrey L. Fannin or his guest today, please call in to 1-888-346-9141. Again, that's 1-888-346-9141. You may also send an email to radioshow at thoughtgenius.com. Now, back to this week's program.
1: Welcome back. This is uh, uh, Dr. Fannin with uh, my special guest, Rob Williams. And we've been discussing some very interesting things, uh, research that we did uh, back in 2010 and and how uh, we were trying to measure um, very interesting elements of consciousness at the time—you know, Christ consciousness, Buddha consciousness, Earth consciousness, Gaia consciousness—and and also looking at the element of uh, disincarnate beings. And so, uh, the story that uh, Rob had told just before the break, um, as as I mulled over that uh, proposition of meeting Nikola Tesla. In alpha theta, well, I was accustomed to doing alpha theta, and for those of you that don't know what that is, uh, we hook up uh, wires on the on the head the electrodes, and then when you drop into this state, it cycles you between alpha and theta brainwave activity, and so you're really in a meditative state during that time, and so uh, it was. It's one of my favorite things to do all the time, and so I've had. Uh, a number of occasions to meet Nikola Tesla there. So when that first happened um, and I hooked myself up, I went in into the uh, clinic on a Saturday when nobody would be around because I had no idea really what was going to happen here. Nobody had ever, a disincarnate being, had never invited me to do that before. So uh, it was kind of exciting and uh, a little bit of intrepidation at the same time. So I got myself hooked up. Uh, got into the alpha-theta state, and I'm sitting there, and all of a sudden I get this visual image of these eyes. And if any of you have ever seen uh, pictures of Nikola Tesla, where he just kind of has that wizard look on in his eyes. He has, you know, just this magic that is there. And I see these eyes and, and recognize them instantly as being Nikola Tesla's. And then all of a sudden, uh, they the kind of fade into the background, and I'm feeling this energy that is coming through me. And uh, Rob and I talked about that afterwards, and it's like, you know, it's, it seems like there was information flowing to me and uh, things that, that I would know, but, uh, you know, why didn't you just talk to me? And, you know, Rob said, well, you know, what better way to transfer information that you can use now and in the future Than downloading this energy and since then I've had a number of occasions where that's happened in different circumstances and I'll find myself knowing things that I can't tell you how I know it but I just know it and in in those circumstances I call that fluid intelligence where uh, it is a direct connection to the field and the energy in the field uh, with that uh, individual so uh, any of us can do that with anything can't we
2: Rob? Yeah, the the thing I think is interesting to think about here, and maybe this is um, an easy explanation of things, is that our conscious mind, as an example, processes information at about 40 or zero bits of information per second, while the subconscious, literally below the level of our conscious awareness, processes at about 40 million bits of information per second. So when you ask the question, well, why didn't he just talk to me? Because talking, you have to do it 40 bits per second. That's why. How about he can download at 40 million bits per second to the hard drive, which is, uh, is metaphorically speaking, the subconscious mind. So it seems to me that if we could get over the needing to consciously get the information that way, much more fun to get it very quickly and massively and then decode it later, but not spend the time you have with Tesla or time I had with Casey as an example. Because I, I was told a whole lot of things about how he operated. I mean, he's one of the he's one of the most famous psychics in, in America, and did over ten thousand readings, and have, had an extremely high rate of accuracy. And and then I he was I was privy to finding out why. I and mean, he took me to where he did it, and he explained how he did it and why he could do it, and that he could read the Akashic record. And while I was there, could I could too, but you know I I can't when I'm not there. But he could do it all the time. That was his gift. So I think. You know that that if you think about it, and we didn't have to know so much in conscious verbalization style transfer of data, and the amount of data one could store and then access in a more linear way would be um, almost unimaginable.
1: Yeah. Uh, now, as a founder of k and I know you also um, had a lot to do with the development of uh, Perk P E R K. Uh, can you tell us the difference between Psyche and Perk and uh how you uh came to uh originating psyche uh, that's a fascinating story to me
2: yeah sure well just the quick distinction between psyche and perk is that perk is more designed for business people and the business organizational structures so it's more of a corporate appropriate Way of introducing this idea of high speed mindset change, belief systems in particular, and particularly at the subconscious level. This this processor I told you was forty million bits per second, because in I was a therapist and I had fourteen years of business experience. A kind of a weird combination, but a benevolent kind of bipolarness. You know, I could I could speak business, I could speak therapy. I had fourteen years of experience in both of them, and it turns out that. In uh, the therapy part of it, I call it psyche. In business, I call it perk. It's the same change mechanisms, the same high-speed mindset change that's driven uh, in the direction of belief systems. Because belief systems are actually, they're especially the subconscious ones are the foundation of our personalities. Jeff, as you know, and so it, it, we're running programs both consciously but subconsciously as well. And the difference in terms of effect on our lives is absolutely astounding. The latest research uh, in in this area of neuroscience says that about 95 to 99% of the time, our actions, behaviors, and thoughts are actually driven from the subconscious level of the mind. Well, that doesn't leave a whole lot of room for your conscious mind to do much of anything when it comes to free will. In other words, most of what passes as free will these days in people's minds is actually almost an artifact of the subconscious mind driving perceptions which create behaviors, which drive biochemistry, and so on. So, you know, your belief systems in general, but particularly, like I was saying, the subconscious affect your moods, your relationships, job performance, self-esteem, physical health, uh, even your religious or spiritual outlook. So there's not really an aspect in life that isn't touched deeply by our beliefs. And, of course, those beliefs are generated and created over time uh, in your life and become the filters through which you you experience life. That's why people see the same situation or circumstance in such different ways Is those belief systems that were actually installed mostly between ages of uh, the time you were born up to an age about seven or eight years old. A lot of what you're going to be running typically or historically, I will put it now, uh, for the rest of your life are going to be those beliefs. And until Psyche showed up in my world um, many years ago, uh, that's that 's exactly what it was I, I helped people in, in psychotherapy coping with their existing beliefs, but never had an inkling you could actually change them. You had to use willpower, positive thinking, affirmations uh, all that stuff to get any change to happen, and oftentimes it wasn 't long lasting so you know one fine day in December of one thousand nine hundred and eighty eight <laughs> I had reached a a, a place of um, absolute frustration with a, a flyer I was putting together for a workshop I was teaching it wasn 't going well. And I finally just uh, got really, really angry. It was December in Denver, Colorado. I went outside and, and I vented. You know, I, I clenched my fists. I said, okay, God, if you don't want me to do this, what do you want me to do? I was raging. It was hardly a full lotus-centered uh, uh, spiritual experience. But there it was. And when I yelled, I literally yelled out loud, you know, what do you want me to do? This, this transmission, that's the only way I can, I can explain it. It was a mental, I could see it. I could see the words like, a, like in a teleprompter. And this pattern for change, uh, fortunately, it was in English. That's the only language I speak. Uh, It was like this teleprompter going across slowly enough for me to race back into the house, type it into my little Apple computer in those days when it was a little tiny black and white screen. That dates me, but it was 88 in December. And so all of a sudden, I'm seeing these words, and the whole pattern was put together, 13 paired statements, opposites, with the entire instruction set for how to do it. It takes about 35, 40 minutes to facilitate this. And I didn't make it up. I mean, my ego would love to say, you know, Rob, you're a really smart guy. You sat down you figured this out. But that's not how it happened. How it really happened was this very clear transmission verbatim into my head, into my fingers, and then into my computer. And then I I actually could see the thing. I couldn't make the picture happen again. I'm really not good at uh, visualizing at all. That's why it took me aback, and I was real surprised that I could see it with that kind of clarity so that was the beginning of psyche and and then subsequently over the course of the next two or three months a series of these transmissions occurred which became essentially the body of the work
1: you know one thing that's really interesting to me is that uh... when we first met and started talking about this and it really struck a a chord with me and uh... your encouragement was to uh... take the basic course and then the advanced course and that would help our research which it which it Uh did immensely But it it's uh understanding uh Psyche K uh, or or even Perk uh, i it, it's I liken it a little bit to flying because I'm, you know, had uh, used to be a pilot. And you can read all the books about flying that you want, mm-hmm. but you don't learn about flying until you go out and fly. Exactly. And that struck me as being the same with Psyche K. You know, you can read books and papers and things, you know, about that. But you really need to take those courses in order to learn how to do it and to have that one-on-one experiential aspect of it where it really gets home not only in your physical being but mentally and spiritually as well.
2: I completely agree. It makes me think of um, a thing Einstein said one time about everything – he says uh, experience, every, knowledge of something, real knowing it, like we're talking about experientially, is experience. Knowledge is experience. He said everything else is just information. So you can read about the taste of an orange. You can read about the feel of water if you're swimming. You can read about a lot of things. But until you're in the water or until you're having a, a personal experience internally, transformational experience in your mind is doing things that you are really surprised that it could even do, and you're seeing that it's safe and it's easy to do and uh, and it's profound, that's the part that got my attention. I, I didn't even use PsyCab. I mean, it came in, and these patterns came in. I was very skeptical. Nothing like that had ever happened to me before. So here I was thinking, well, where did this come from, and what is this, and all that kind of thing. So it, for me, it it came down to, all right, I'm going to wait because I'm a pretty left brain guy, especially then, and I was going to test it and test it and test it and see whether it had any results to it that I could measure, if it could hurt anybody in any way. And and I'm, I'm very grateful to say that over the course of six months to a year when I was testing it before I actually put it into my private practice, I, I found that all those cr- criteria were met. It could do no harm. There was a permission protocol with one's higher self, your spirit, before you ever decided to internalize a belief. This was different because this was basically saying, do you really think this is a good idea? Asking one's higher self, one's spirits. who can see the big picture in your life, not just the the thing you think you want because society is programmed you should have this car or that person or in your life or a big house or whatever it is that you think you have, a certain job. Uh, All of that are... But what your needs are oftentimes very different than your wants. Maybe we can address that in another section a little bit, maybe in the principles of nature. I know we're going to talk a little bit of that because it's very, very exciting to me what nature knows about how we could live in harmony with her and ourselves.
1: So um, over the years, you've been doing this for, you know, uh, more than 20 some years, probably closer to 30 than 20. Yeah, right. And uh, during that time, I know you you taught a lot of workshops and uh, mm-hmm. did a lot of work with Bruce Lipton and mm-hmm. things like that. Uh, can you recall any of the uh, stories about profound things that happened to people and you just watched that transformation unfold or unique experiences that happened in their life as a result of using this?
2: Sure, Jeff. I mean, there's a, there are a myriad of them. It's, it's been 14 years working with Bruce and we traveled all around the world doing these four-day events. And we had you know, anywhere probably from about 50 to 60 people to maybe 150 people in a room at a given time. And the kinds of things, because you're working on very specific things, it's not a group process, it's an individual process. So, of course, people pick the categories they want to work in, if it might be self-esteem or issues with relationships, uh, health and wellness, uh, financial prosperity, spirituality, grief and loss, a whole bunch of different things you can that are part of the human condition. And they were spectacular from – from th- some things you just watch the body transform, you know, from a state of dis-ease, meaning that it was not okay. It could be any myriad of, of so-called diagnoses. We didn't look at it as a diagnosis, and we didn't look at it as treating disease. We looked at it as a, a meta-experience. In other words, above all of that, epigenetically speaking, uh, it, it's is like about perceptions and changing the perceptions, which then has a biological effect. So it happened with physical stuff, emotional stuff, for kids, uh, we had eight-year-olds, as young as eight-year-olds, old as 80 or 90-year-olds take the course. It's not driven off of how old you are, what you have to do. There's no rigorous activity involved. But it is absolutely, has been a mind-blowing experience for me. And I, I, I don't overuse that term because I've watched what I would consider to be miracle after miracle occur in people's lives. And it's so incredibly gratifying to be able to know that your, your life is making a difference in other people's lives.
1: Yeah, I know that uh, when we were doing the research, and we did about 125 cases Uh uh, before we published the papers on that, and uh, I I just loved watching that transformation take place with people. They would come in. We would uh, do a little work with them. Uh Uh, They would come back and tell stories uh, about things that happened to them. I remember uh, one woman uh, she had a very uh, discordant personality uh, she She was a supervisor in uh, in a workplace, and her approach to management was uh, my way or the highway yeah. and, and so um, uh, we we kind of did the brain maps of a pre and post with her and and then one day she came back in and we were talking and she explained how things were very different that she was getting better. Uh, communication with her workers, uh, the people who were uh, responsible to reporting to her, and how those relationships were better. She found that her relationships at home and with her husband and her kids were considerably better and just a, a, a myriad of things. And she had a softer demeanor, more approachable uh, affect uh and being able to uh communicate with her and uh she went on to be moved up in the uh, level of the organization and uh her success level uh was was even higher than she had ever anticipated because Mm -hmm. she had this new way of dealing with thinking and with uh uh, a a way of being so um it's fun fun to see those kinds of things happening and um Why don't we take a a short break now? You're listening to Help My Thoughts Are Holding Me Hostage uh, on the Voice uh, America Empowerment Channel. We'll be right back.
0: Are you ready for a health, life, and empowerment show in one? Then be sure to listen every week for Living Well with Ann Beal, Anne takes her long-running TV show to the internet talk radio airwaves with guest experts and insight designed to help you live a healthy and successful life. By hearing from the experts and those who have found success, our goal is that you too will be motivated to do the same. Living Well with Anne Beale can be heard every Wednesday at 10 a.m. Eastern Time, 7 a.m. Pacific on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Do you find that some of your hopes and dreams aren't happening the way you thought they would? Maybe your power of intention needs fine-tuning. The latest scientific research indicates that the problem is related to your subconscious belief patterns. They determine your behavior, as well as create the message that is being broadcast into the field. Only 5% of what we think about comes through the conscious thinking part of our brain, and the rest is processed through the subconscious part of our brain. You need the Thought Genius Kit. The Thought Genius Kit is an amazing combination of tools and technology that is not sold in stores anywhere. But you can get it from ThoughtGenius.com. If you want to know what your subconscious thinks and feels about something, all you have to do is think about it and watch the indicators on the screen. The Thought Genius Kit also comes with a lifetime subscription for creating your own mind movies. Get more information and read scientific research before you order the Thought Genius Kit at ThoughtGenius.com. That's thoughtgenius.com. Now on Voice America. The road you travel in life is never a straight line. It's more like running around in circles, which is not a problem when you make Richard Flint a part of your world. When you're standing next to Richard, you begin to see a lot less confusion and a whole lot more clarity. Things just start falling into place every Thursday, 2 p.m. Eastern, 11 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Power to Be with Richard Flint. Join us, and more power to you. You are listening to Help! My Thoughts Are Holding Me Hostage. To reach Dr. Jeffrey L. Fannin or his guest today, please call in to 1-888-346-9141. Again, that's 1-888-346-9141. You may also send an email to show at thoughtgenius.com. Now, back to this week's program.
1: And you've been listening to Help My Thoughts Are Holding Me Hostage with my special guest this week, Rob Williams, where we've been discussing Psyche K and uh, the quantum field and consciousness and a whole bunch of other things. What we want to discuss now is, uh, Rob, I know that this has been a passion of yours for many, many years, uh, in in dealing with uh, the laws of nature or the principles of nature. I guess the laws is what uh, Mother Nature does, and yet we can learn so much from the principles of nature, and I, I believe there's about 11 of these. Uh, let's get a discussion going about these uh, principles of nature.
2: Sure. Well, that's easy and fun for me because – uh, the guy that really introduced me to the notion that nature, which I just thought of like most people do—trees, sky, air, water, etc.—just as the elements of nature—is uh, Bruce Lipton. And Bruce was it, it, being a biologist uh, for uh, extraordinaire. He sees nature in a very different way. And and over the years working with him, I got to come to that understanding, which I'm deeply grateful to him for. And what happened in coming to that place was I was thinking. What does Psyche or its business uh, version perk have to do with nature? I, it seemed like a, a, a bridge that I couldn't figure out a way to create, never mind walk across. So, as time uh, went by, about three years ago, as a matter of fact, uh, I was ruminating on that, and all of a sudden, much like the original uh, transmissions, I'll call them, of Psyche itself, these 11 principles uh, representing uh, ways in which nature manages a planet and and the species on it, including us humans, and uh, all of a sudden I was given this link that I had not been able to understand until then, and I was so excited, and I called Bruce and we talked about it, and I said, you know, here's what I got, Bruce. I mean, is this is there anything missing here? Is what do I do with this stuff? And so I read the, the principles to him. And I'll be happy to share those with the uh, our listeners. And, I, and he said, yeah, I think I can't think of anything else that would go on that list that isn't covered in one form or another. So I, I started to realize that if we could, we as a species, uh, with the big prefrontal cortexes that we have, you know, supposedly making us more intelligent, although sometimes I wonder, I must say, uh, uh, if we could adapt these principles, not as principles of nature as something separate from us, Jeff, but... We, but see ourselves as an extension of nature and see the world through nature's eyes and perception, we would have a very, very different world because we would see things in such a different way as an example. Uh, for instance, one of the principles is adaptation. Uh, so the thing about adaptation in nature is if a species doesn't adapt, it dies. And, and we're not different than that. We're not exempt from that rule. Adapt or die is really a very core principle uh, of any species on the planet and we are not doing a very good job of adapting we're mostly trying to control uh our external environment instead of learning from it if we learned from it we would get to be a whole lot more adaptable than we are you know darwin's famous edict that uh it's all about uh, the survival of the fittest it's not really the fittest as in biggest and baddest or in strongest and most ruthless and all that really turns out it's the most adaptable the dinosaurs are gone but the cockroaches are still here. And I can which one do you think is more adaptable? <laughs> so the cockroaches pulled it off. They can live underground, on top of the ground, they can live in the water, they can they can do a whole lot of things that the dinosaurs couldn't do, yet the dinosaurs were, of course, huge creatures compared to these little uh, cockroaches. So that's one example of adaptation. We should we really have to learn how to adapt, or we're not gonna make it on this planet. Another one would be collaboration. This one really was surprising. Bruce had said for so long. You know, nature doesn't really work on competition, it really works on collaboration. Uh and I and I said, Really? you know, and he said, Yeah, but look at the 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 actual definition of competition. And he took me to a medieval definition, original one in Latin. And it really means to at that time the word competition meant to strive for, uh as a common goal towards something. Strive for and together. There are two Latin words, and those that's what it translates into in English, is one is to strive for, and the other one is together. Well, to strive together for something is quite different than the current meaning of competition, which is to win at any cost, or to see other people as enemies, um, as we tend to define the word in, in modern times. It, it's more that that kind of definition, so to strive for sounds to me a lot more like the common meaning of collaboration uh, these days than the current understanding of competition, so if you start looking at it, for instance, an example would be, we just put out a, a brand new video on this subject. It's only 11 minutes long, but it, it, it's one minute per, you know, per, per principle. And the very first one starts out with uh, a bee and a flower. Beautiful picture of the bee inside the flower. And the idea here, what nature is showing us is that if the, f- the flower and the bee cannot survive without each other, if they competed and one won and the other one would, lo- would lose in the competition, then they both lose. Because without pollinators, uh, there are no flowers. Without flowers, there's nothing to pollinate. So you have to look at the big picture and see what do things do and how do they operate in collaboration with each other. So it's stuff like that. Resiliency is another one that's in our life. You know, you think about uh, a forest as an example, and it burns down and everybody feels terrible. It's certainly a catastrophe for the, for the forest from that point of view. But what happens in forests when trees burn down, full forest and all that, new growth is possible. And you see resiliency being that key quality that generates new growth that couldn't happen because the sun couldn't get to the ground for the, for the trees. So if you start thinking about that and anthropomorphize it a little bit, in a human being, we have a crisis that's, say, equivalent to a forest fire and some major part of our our life essentially uh, burns up you know <laughs> in, in its own way it's destroyed, but often what happens then is there's a gift that comes along with that, and that 's the resiliency of coming back even stronger that you than you were before and learning from that experience so this is the kind of aha um, reality that I got when I started to look deeply into these um, important principles. If you think about it for a minute. You know, nature has been managing a planet. Talk about uh, an enormous multitask. <laughs> managing a planet with millions and millions and millions of species, keeping things in balance, having the rules that allow that to be the case. And, and here we are in the midst of all of this, and it works. So if we could decipher, and it's not that tough actually, there are, there are more and more people right now studying this field of how do we mimic nature. In fact, there's a wonderful book called Biomimicry, Uh, by Janine Bennis that uh, I read recently. It it came out a few years ago. But it's really a lovely uh, treatise on, okay, here's the story. If we look to see how nature does things, we'll become way more efficient at the way we can do them and even why we do them. We have a lot of technical expertise in the world, Jeff, but a lot of it is mismanaged because we don't have the wisdom to manage it correctly. So we're not going to get out of the messes we've made here on this planet for ourselves and other species by just being technological wizards. We have to be wisdom-rich, uh, not just technically rich.
1: You know, I think that uh, one of the principles, as, as I have reviewed that information over the years, mm-hmm. is cause and effect. Mm-hmm. I, I think that's, well, all of them are catalytic in the way that they harmonize with each one another, but yeah. um, what, what's your take on cause and effect as far as a principle?
2: Well, I think it's really important, of course, because that's the way things work. Uh, this is an intrinsic principle of nature. It's, it's consistent with Newton's third wa- law of motion. For every action, there's an opposite and e- equal and opposite reaction. Uh, you know, it's expressed in a lot of different ways. In human interactions, in, in spiritual principles, karma, the law of attraction, the concept you re- reap what you sow. Uh, it's also related to the scientific principle of quantum entanglement. Uh, everything you think or do has an effect, great or small, consciously or subconsciously, on the world outside of you. And when you think about that principle alone, that every thought you have, every action you take, has a consequence to it, it it should give everybody uh, a moment to pause and think, really? (laughs) If that's really true, then all of a sudden you become a lot more mindful about your choices. And and also I would say it, it becomes even more important to align Your subconscious beliefs, the ones that run your life pretty much 99% of the time, 95 to 99, the science says, uh, give that part of your mind updated files. In other words, the the latest wisdom and how to be on the planet and live in harmony with it and each other. So you couldn't find a more important principle that you can't do something and not have a reaction. Sometimes it's a minor reaction. Sometimes it's a major one. But there's always a reaction.
1: You know, I keep hearing this term, biodiversity, mm-hmm. uh, and, and there's a lot of biodiversity in nature. In fact, that's one of the principles that you outline here. Mm-hmm. Um, why is diversity such an important principle?
2: It keeps us from being single-sourced. As an example, let's just take uh, something like the um, the potato famine in Ireland. Uh, it turns out it was devastating because they had reduced the the kind of potato – down to one potato, which was a very popular potato and could be grown on mass and all of that. But when the the bug, I guess it was a beetle, uh, showed up on the scene, it was able to devastate uh, that crop because it 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 was particularly interested in that kind of potato. Had we had a lot of different potatoes, then that might not have been the case at all. Here in the in the um, San Luis Valley, where where I live in Colorado, uh, there's a farm here that grows uh, potatoes, specifically 26 varieties. Most people don't even know there are 26 varieties of potatoes, and yet each has its own mechanism for uh, survival. So uh, a beetle that may favor a particular kind of potato comes in, but it, and it des- destroys that potato, but not any of the others. So nature's real, real smart in that way to look at, if I have a lot of diversity, then, and I have a predator-prey situation, you're going to have survival of a, a, a genre anyway, you know, a, a, a diverse species rather than being single source to one. So in I think the anthropomorphic version of that is we, sh- we really uh, should be celebrating the fact that we have enormous biodiversity in the human species, different skin tones, different people, different cultures, different ways of doing things, different skill sets and all of that because it is it is in this, the strength of the diversity that we will survive.
1: You know, I've heard you say time and time again, the timing of nature is impeccable. Yes,
2: what do you mean is. by that? I mean that that if you think about it, why does why do the seasons follow each other in the way they do? I mean, we take that for granted, but it turns out it's of course brilliant. It has to happen in a particular way. You have to have spring and then summer, and then fall, and then winter, and then spring again. And we just don't even think about that. But if you look at, if it tried to make things happen in any other way, the entire system would collapse. Uh, timing is is everything when it comes to how things are going to happen. If you anthropomorphize, anthropomorphize that, in other words, put it into human terms, divine timing is the most efficacious, most important timing That you're going to have, if you can follow your inner guidance and move in the direction and at the speed of the natural world, not our clocks, not our own egos trying to impose when something should happen, but learn to listen in a in a very deep way to the information that nature is trying to give us. I I I met a wonderful guy recently uh, who is really, I think, a a brilliant guy uh, in in the area of understanding. Nature. Uh, Glenn Perry is his name. He wrote a wonderful book called Original Thinking, uh, and I I think he's got it. He says nature's trying to talk to us, but we're not listening because we're so interested in running things instead of listening to how to run things. So I think if we slow down enough to listen to Mother Nature, essentially talk through us uh, and give us the wisdom that she has, so that we can see it all around us. It's just that people literally don't see the forest for the trees. They see the individual things all separated when that's not really reality is. The appearance is separate. Einstein called it a kind of optical delusion of consciousness that we see things as separate. But the latest science and the most ancient wisdom tell us otherwise. We are all connected at the energy level. It's our senses that give us the illusion of separation. So it's a kind of coming home, Jeff. It's a kind of realization that we need to get our act together here and start seeing how we can collaborate uh how how we can become group-wise resilient we can stay in balance we can uh honor our diversity learn to adapt and live in harmony
1: you know we have uh, just a couple of minutes here before we uh, wind up the show today and maybe we got time to look at one more principle if we look at effective use of resources yeah uh, I, I think that's a, a really cool one can you Quickly give us a summation of that one.
2: Yeah, I love that because it's really about knowing when enough is enough. And in our culture, we have an economy and a mindset that says it's never enough, whereas nature never wastes anything. Everything is recycled, uh, I mean, including us. Sooner or later, that's what happens here. So when you start understanding that energy is never destroyed, it simply changes form, and that using what you need, not necessarily uh, what you want, is the key to a sustainable economy and a sustainable uh, world.
1: So if people would like to watch this video, uh, which which is fascinating. I mean, I've watched it many times and still just enjoy watching it. It's really done well. Uh, If they want to watch that, how can they watch the video?
2: They can simply go to YouTube and type in the beauty and principles of nature.
1: Yeah, excellent. And,
2: and Rob Williams will help. If you put that too with it, probably, then it'll, it'll narrow down your search. I hope people enjoy it. I did it with a nature photographer. Both of us are passionate about uh, the beauty and, and wonder of nature. And it's a really lovely thing to just to sit and slow down, relax, take a deep breath, and enjoy both the pictorial beauty, these beautiful pictures he took, and also the text that I added to it, trying to my best to be an open uh, resource voice, really, if you will, for uh, nature talking to us about how to live together in peace and harmony.
1: So, if uh, people want to learn more about Psyche, very quickly, how can they uh, they connect up with that?
2: Sure, psyche.com. dot com. That's P S Y C H. There's a hyphen, the letter K dot com. That'll get them there.
1: Yeah, great. Uh, it's always been a pleasure uh, spending time with you, Rob, and I want to thank you for being on the show this week. Uh, Ask uh, people to uh, tune in next week for another interesting episode of Help, My Thoughts Are Holding Me Hostage.
0: Thank you for tuning in to the show this week. Please join Dr. Jeffrey Fannin again for another edition of Help, My Thoughts Are Holding Me Hostage. Listen every Friday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time and 10 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Have the best week possible.